You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. With me today is Stuart Udell, CEO of Achieve 3000, a company I guess you could call the grandfather of remote learning as it's been working to connect uh, learners for almost 20 years. Stuart came to Achieve 3000 with extensive leadership experience in the education industry, including K-12 Incorporated, the nation's largest operator of virtual schools, as executive chairman and chief executive officer of Catapult Learning, a school operator and provider of Title I instructional services. Stewart also served as chief executive officer for Penn Foster, a global leader in high school and career-focused online learning. Well, good afternoon, Stuart, and thanks for joining me. Thanks, Kevin. I'm thrilled to be with you today. Well, as we just mentioned, we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's uh, about you know what, COVID-19 and the pandemic and its effect on the education space. Uh, the, past, the past several weeks, uh, the first several weeks of this madness, people really were only dealing with the anecdotal evidence of the transformation of schools from a physical place into a, into a remote space. You and a, a group put together uh, a new study, which is really the first data uh, that I've been able to find um, that goes and looks at, um, you know, the trends that are behind the, the anecdotes. Um, maybe we could start off by you talking a little bit about the, the Successful Practices Network and the Center for College and Career Readiness and the report you put together. Sure, you bet. Uh, well, we work closely at Achieve 3000 with both of those nonprofit organizations. The Successful Practices Network is a nonprofit that looks at, you know, ways to improve school operations and performance. They provide technical assistance, assistance, do research and such. Uh, founded by uh, Dr. Bill Daggett and run currently uh, by Ray McNulty, former commissioner of education in Vermont and you know a, a story background. The Center for College and Career Readiness, uh, as its uh, name implies, uh, takes a look at all of the things uh, that uh, schools need to do to make sure that their students are uh, both college uh, and or career ready. Uh, the founder of uh, that organization and current chairman, Kevin Baird, duly serves as the contracted chief academic officer to achieve. The three organizations do a fair bit of research together. So uh, when uh, schools pivoted to a very different type of learning environment, we thought it was prudent to take a quick look at uh, what was happening there because the impact as we suspected, uh, you know, it was quite dramatic. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, I can't really say that the um, the results are, are positive, right? I mean, you had real-time data for 1.6 million students in almost 1,400 districts, uh, but it showed that they're on track to lose up to 49% of their potential reading growth by the start of next school year. Uh, the other stat that uh, was kind of negative uh, is that... It, the achievement gap between students from lower and higher school income schools is predicted to widen 
by up to 18%. So while, you know, we talk about the possibilities of closing the digital equity gap, um, your, your data is kind of showing the opposite, huh? That is true. You know, sadly, that is true. We, um, uh, you know, suspected that the data would not look terrific. And in fact, it does not. As you mentioned, at the usage level, we saw a, de a significant decline in usage uh, as we pivoted to remote learning. And the study is really not about Achieve 3000 per se. Achieve 3000 is one platform that manages, you know, student reading practice time. So uh, we just looked at this study as that, not a referendum on is Achieve doing well or not, but, you know, how are students doing in terms of reading performance? The interesting thing about the Achieve platform, though, that's very uh, important for this study is that all of our student performance data is calibrated to the Lexile framework, which is uh, produced by Metametrics and is the most widely used reading framework around the country, um, serving roughly 35 million students in uh, more than 100 countries and all 50 states. So. When we look at both usage and performance, we are adjusting the reading levels of those students with every piece of data we collect. If a student reads a story, uh, which we call an article, and then uh, effectively um, uh, answers questions, comprehension questions, we are continually updating their reading ability per the Bayesian algorithm that's provided by the Lexile framework. So it's all very independently monitored, which was important for this study. So what, you know, if we think about the headlines, the headlines that we found here is that usage dropped precipitously across the country on a national average. Now, of course, there is jaggedness. There were success stories, as, as is the case with any uh, average, though, there is jaggedness. And we can talk about those success stories in a bit. On the whole, we looked at a variety of usage metrics, most of which indicated that usage declined by about 45%. That was consistent with what uh, the data that at least one other very prominent educational publisher released. Uh, and what that really, I think, talks about is um, not about, it's not about student will, it's about the real issues of getting kids connected and working in a different type of schooling environment. So at the front end, we've got to make sure kids have devices. And there are, of course, hundreds of thousands of kids, if not certainly millions of kids that don't yet have devices as most districts are not yet one-to-one, -one, although many are scrambling to get there now. Then once the devices are in place, of course, you need connectivity. So some of the cable providers, uh, such as Comcast, have provided free connectivity to free and reduced lunch families through at least the end of the summer. Uh, and some districts are providing MiFi hotspots and such for uh, kids who are from uh, socioeconomically disadvantaged families and don't have that in their home. When you finally do that, get devices in kids' hands and get, get kids connected, then you can start to think about time on task. So the thing we don't know about the data is when we look at that, that drop in usage what the, uh, you know, what's attributed to devices, what's attributed to connectivity, and then what's attributed to, you know, the teaching and learning uh, process. Right. So, so in, in some ways, um, you could almost give schools a mulligan on this one. I mean, just, just to get connected was, in fact, an achievement. Sure. It's a huge achievement. You know, I, I, uh, uh, just did a joint interview the other day with uh, Dr. Jesus Hara in uh, 
in uh, Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, he had, he walked into a situation in the fourth largest district in the country where he had 100,000 students that had connectivity issues right out of the gate. So they either didn't have devices or didn't have access. I mean, those are that's a mammoth problem. The problem in New York City, Chancellor Carranza had 300,000 kids who, who didn't have the technology to even start to access instructional content and direct instruction. So, you know, the the level of, uh, you know, challenge around this is is enormous. And, you know, folks are working feverishly from what we can tell to remediate those gaps. I know those two leaders I just mentioned are working feverishly for sure. Right, right. Well, with your experience in the space, I mean, um, the scaling of technology I hate to use the word, but it is unprecedented. Um, can do you believe that it can happen? I mean, are, are, over the course of the next year, I mean, can we actually close this digital divide? Uh, in your opinion, I think it's possible. It will uh, take a few things. Uh, first, it will take funding. You know, we know that the state of New York announced 20% budget cuts to education district-wide, at least in the state funding portion, which is about half of uh, expenditures before, um, or half of school budgets before you get to local and federal dollars. Uh, we know the state of Florida announced similar cuts of in between 15 and 30%. That was the guidance they gave superintendents. So, you know, those two states approximate 15% of the country. So let's use them as a proxy and say, look, if we've got a 15% national budget gap in funding, we're talking about a $100 billion just this coming school year. So the first thing we need is money. And, uh, you know, some innovative superintendents are raising private dollars from business and from, uh, philanthropy. So they're trying to close the gap before the funding, the federal dollars come, uh, which uh, they have not uh, really started to hit yet, nor is there really enough allocated. That's a, a separate issue. So I think the funding has to happen. And then, you know, there's also a challenge with just uh, the supply chain. So uh, there are three device makers, uh, Google, Chromebooks, Microsoft, and, and Apple, which make up 100% of handheld devices in schools, at least in terms of tablets. So, you know, you've got long queues of folks who are trying to get to the top of the list to make sure they can get those devices fast enough. So I, I think some of it is just a, you know, a, a financial issue. Some of it is a supply chain issue. And then it comes to the issue of, you know, can schools think um, innovatively enough and inventively enough to make the pivot quickly? Uh, you know, the data from the study suggests about half of schools did in a very short window of time in March and half of schools uh, didn't. Uh, so we will we will see. But the, the bottom line is we have to, because you mentioned the other really important data points from the study. We saw a 28 uh, percent projected decline in in learning gains, call that learning loss by June 1st and are predicting based on other summer school slide data from NWEA and other folks. Uh, and there's a large body of research on the summer slide data that by back to school, we'll see up to 49 percent declines uh, in in potential learning gain or learning loss uh, by back to school. And that, of course, is uh, very significant. You also mentioned the data point around socioeconomic uh, status. We know there's a di digital divide in the country. And I think part of the reason we are immediately seeing a widening achievement gap in the data from this study are the issues we talked about around devices and connectivity. So we're projecting at least a 4% increase 
in uh, in 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 uh, the the achievement gap uh, based on the data that we're pulling out of the system. It could go as high as eighteen percent based on some of the predictive analytics by back to school. Uh, we don't think it'll get quite that high, but you know, look, anything that widens the gap, of course, is very tragic. Right, right. I have to say, one of the biggest surprises for me as as I track uh, school responses is the uh, small number uh, who are kind of continuing to keep uh, their community connection with students through the summer. I, I kind of expected people to say, "All right, well, you know what? You know, we've been doing this remote thing. We had a you know." We got this up and running, but uh, we want to continue schooling to some degree uh, throughout the summer to make up for the disruption. And I, I haven't seen a lot of it. I got to ask you, have you seen any of that? And uh, does that surprise you as well? You know, uh, it's a great question, Kevin. It's a mixed bag. Uh, my advice, one of the one of the recommendations from this study, and I was one of the six authors, uh, one of the recommendations from this study is that folks use the summer to close that gap. You know, effectively, we'd be replacing the three lost months with, you know, two or three new found months of activity. Uh, we do see some districts. I know New York City just announced summer school for 177,000 kids. Um, I know that Clark County, Nevada, Las Vegas, uh, and the greater community has, uh, Dr. Jar has announced the same uh, extended summer school. I, I know Chicago has talked about summer school. So we do see it in some places. Uh, we are offering our software free, all of our software through the end of the summer, as is the case with, you know, quite a few other ed tech vendors. And, you know, it is an interesting point. I, I don't know too many industries that have given away everything they have for free, almost industry wide. And that has been, you know, I think a real uh, shining light in the ed tech industry, particularly in the K-12 school arena you know, not just Achieve 3000, but almost every one of our competitors uh, and other, you know, folks in the landscape have been offering free digital product. And in our case, we've also made a lot of our product available for free in print format uh, via downloadable PDFs on our website. So we're all trying to do the right thing for schools to help them through it. And uh, hopefully those types of offerings from vendors like Achieve 3000 uh, will make it easier for schools to fund summer school because at least, you know, that isn't a cost. Yeah. Let me ask you, um, from your perspective, uh, two different uh, points. One is how much of an effect is a lack of professional development for teachers? Uh, what is that doing to this uh, the, the slide, the, the COVID slide? Uh, and the second is, what about the contributions or lack thereof of parents? Uh, something that traditionally in the ed tech space, I've noticed parents don't get much attention at all. In this new dynamic, they are front and center right with their students. Um, so talk a little bit about the faculty and parents in this equation. Sure. You know, we have uh, had to, of course, pivot the way we deliver professional development our organization in a typical year delivers approximately 10,000 face-to-face professional development days. Those could be workshops, you know, moving from class to class, doing modeling, doing data review, doing coaching. You know, there are a lot of forms, but it's someone driving to your school building, being there for the better part of a day, four or five or six hours, and then driving home. 
Um, and that, of course, has changed dramatically. Everything, 100% of our professional development efforts are now online. And of course, as we digest online material, uh, five-hour workshops don't work anymore. So a lot of what we're doing are 60-minute uh, getting started sessions or 60-minute sessions to you know, understand how to read data and uh, connect it to student performance. We're also offering office hours on a very regular basis so that teachers can just pipe in and ask very specific questions in a one-on-one -on -one or a small group setting. So there's been a very large pivot there. The other thing we're getting in terms of demand from school uh, educators is uh, more help in how to navigate technology in general. So they're saying things like, well, this is fabulous. Um, I'd really like to continue to use Achieve 3000 with our students at home. Can you show me how to do it embedded in a Zoom environment or in a Microsoft Teams environment? So we're, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, ed tech uh, uh, partners like Achieve are, are really providing that direct instruction on, on kind of basic collaboration tool, tools for teachers. On the parent front, uh, we have, um, in addition to providing free access to educators to our products, again, like most vendors in the space, we have provided free access to parents and students. So we've had several hundred thousand direct student and parent logins, uh, not logins, um, 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 uh, uh, configure uh, enrollment in our system, registrations, I should say. And uh, we, we similarly have provided, you know, particularly getting started training in 30-minute, 60-minute webinar and uh, office hour formats to, to parents. And of course, you see a great divide with parents. You've got some parents who are more technologically literate who are, and or who are more interested in engaging in their students' uh, education and some who are not. So that divide is also a tricky one. And, you know, parents are providing very frontline scaffolding now to kids in terms of not just academic support, but social emotional support to kids who need other, you know, kind of wraparound support, let's say. And, uh, you know, it's very, it's, it's very challenging because, you know, the vast majority of parents, myself included, are not particularly uh, trained or equipped to do that. But at the same time, uh, I've also noticed um, some innovation taking place, right? I mean, you mentioned kind of building things into Zoom. Um, my three beta testers here at home uh, with their <laughs> education transformation have um, had varying degrees of success, uh, but they're all suffering from Zoom fatigue at this point. Um, but so they found ways to back channel during a, a Zoom call. Uh, this, I mean, if we want to look at this glass half full, I mean, could this be a, 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 a renaissance in, in the way that uh, all these technology tools are provided? I think that's uh, a great point, Kevin, and I do agree. Look, if uh, my 80-year-old parents could figure out how to use Zoom because that was their pipeline to talk to their grandkids and they did it without any help, you know, I really think uh, we have that ability in school districts to do the same. We've seen lots of educators, you know, really quickly adapt to a new environment and do tremendous things. Uh, and then we see others who I think are a little more, you know, tied to the former ways and a little more change resistant. And I do think, you know, that's a real leadership challenge at the building level for principals. It's a leadership challenge at the district level for superintendents and their staff because, um, 
you know, schools have been very vested in doing things a certain type of way for a long time. It's not to say that there hasn't been change, but, uh, you know, as uh, I think we all agree as, as, an, as, in, as an institution, perhaps we've seen less change than lots of other institutions in society over the last decade or two around technology. So, you know, hopefully this is, uh, you know, we can from this tragedy really ignite uh, kind of a, a spark and really take things to the next level. I think, I think what teachers, you know, as a mindset need to think about, and we talk a little bit about this in the recommendations from our study, is not thinking about school being something that happens either with kids sitting in chairs in front of you or in a remote setting when they're at home, but all teaching and learning should just be technology enabled, like every other profession at this point. How do we use technology at the right moments in time to make sure that we're optimizing, you know, student learning? Now, during the process of uh, authoring this study, uh, were there any particular aha moments for you that you've taken away in, in the way you're going to uh, conduct business with the Chief 3000 um, that you want to share? <laughs> sure. Oh, absolutely. Look, I think what we, where we all learned the most was in the first week or two of this pivot to remote learning. So as an organization, we, we decided very quickly we wanted parents to have direct access to our products for free. However, they weren't set up, and we have you know several products on three different platforms. Uh, they were not set up to be consumer you know, uh, oriented uh, with the exception of one platform. So very quickly, in a matter of one long weekend, we had you know, our entire development team refocused around building front end tools for parents, students, and teachers to register on their own and get going with our products. And, you know, we need to uh, capture that energy and uh, focus in a bottle and and really use it, uh, sprinkle it around as needed on a forward basis. You know, it was a real aha, aha moment to say, wow, we've truly gotten more done in the last week than we often do in a three to six month period. So, you know, that that focus, what's most important? How do we get all of our people focused around one or two or three most important goals? Uh, we really got to see the power of that. Uh, the other thing we've just had to think of differently is, is we've got to be much more flexible as an organization. Right now, we're marketing differently. We're doing a lot of webinars. We're doing a lot of direct email. You know, we're no longer going to conferences. We're no longer doing a lot of print advertising, at least for the time being. We've had to service our folks differently. As I said, we're doing all of our professional development now online in a world where prior we did 95% of our professional development face-to-face. -face. We've had to collaborate differently as a team. So I'd say it's, you know, a real aha moment around we, we too have to be more flexible in our thinking as an organization as to how we're going to best meet the needs of our customers at a particular moment in time. Great. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for uh, working on this data. It's going to be uh, really uh, vital information, I think, for the industry uh, in order to help kids going into next fall. And I also want to thank you for your time uh, sharing your insights. Thanks very much, Kevin. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and your audience today. And uh, we're just happy to you know, play a small role in hopefully what will be the great future success of schools around our country and around the globe. Well, cheers to that. Absolutely. And I'd also like to thank uh, our listeners for, for tuning into this podcast episode of Remote Possibilities.
Please come back and listen for some more. Thank you.